This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. So we are continuing, or finishing up, we're landing the plane on our series uh, that we're calling Dangerous Prayers. And so we spent the previous two weeks talking through this, and today we're going to kind of wrap it up uh, with the last dangerous prayer that we're going to talk about. But in week one, which is two weeks ago, we talked about, we looked at this dangerous prayer of God, search me, right? Search me. And we said that we looked through this passage in Psalms where uh, David was like, you know, search my heart, reveal my fears, uncover my sins, and lead me. We said, that's a dangerous thing, man, because that can rattle our cage. That can shake us up from the inside out. So that's a dangerous thing to pray. And then last week, um, we kind of took it a step deeper and a step further, uh, and we looked at this concept of break me, how we are called to live a life that's broken and poured out. We looked at the uh, prostitute who came in to where Jesus was reclining, remember, at the leper's house, because he hangs out with the outcasts. He's, he's all about the marginalized. So he comes out and and uh, this, this prostitute comes in and she breaks this ultra expensive perfume and, and she breaks it and she pours it out over his head. And then later in that chapter, the same chapter, he makes this connection of the Eucharist and, and communion and how the bread is broken and the wine is poured out. And, and it was symbolic of his body being broken and his blood poured out. And we kind of made this connection that we are to live that out day in and day out. And we took communion last week and we said, you know, this is symbolic. This is representative of what Christ did for us. But the reality is, is we need to live that day in and day out. We need to live a life that's broken and poured out uh, for Christ. And so today we're taking it, you know, even a little more audacious, a little more dangerous, if you will, in these prayers. And the dangerous prayer today is send me, send me. So we start off with search me, we went with break me, and now we are at send me. And here's the deal, like I know I've said this every single week, but I believe it to be true. This has the potential to be an anchor message. This has the potential to absolutely change everything in your heart and to change everything in your life. This has the potential to alter the rest of your life. If you are able to be introspective and say, God, what are you really trying to do inside of me? What are you really trying to speak to me? What are you really trying to say here? What changes do I need to make? What adaptations do I need to make? What do I need to lay down and surrender to you? This can be life-changing content this morning. And so I want to encourage you guys to be open to that. Now, everybody knows that there are moments in life where we make decisions, right? Or we have these, these moments that are completely life-changing. That once it happens, life is not the same on the other side of that event. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And the thing is, um, in these moments in life, these decisions that are life-changing, we tend to act or move or succeed in these moments when we're positioned to do so, right? When we're prepared for them to happen, when we're ready for it to happen. Does that make sense? When we're ready for these moments to take place, when they take place, we're able to leverage them to our benefit the most. Example. When I met my wife, Amber, it was absolutely life-changing, right? It was a trajectory changer. It altered the entire trajectory of my life when I met her. And I'm not just trying to get brownie points, honestly. You know, she walked up to the table in the student union at Lee University, and she asked me about my hot friend, right? And it was just a moment that I was like, no, I'm ready for this, right? (laughs) This one's mine, right? He ain't, uh uh-uh, it ain't happening. And, um... But I was prepared. And you know why I was prepared? You know why I was ready? Because I was in college. And you know what happens in college? Everybody's trying to get their MRS degree or their MR degree, right? Mr. and Mrs. 
it was a meat market. Everybody's there looking to see who's going to be their mate, right? Let's just, let's just be honest here for a minute. But I was ready. I was prepared. And when she came up, I was like, boom, this is it, right? And then when I started dating her, I think it was like three months later, I bought a ring because I was like, dude, I've hit my pinnacle. It's all downhill from here. I got to lock this up, right? Like, and then many of you who know my wife or have seen my wife, you know that I married up in a major way. Um, a major way. Or another thing that was totally life-changing and trajectory-altering is when I had each of my kids. I have four kids. And when I had my kids, it was like completely and totally life-changing. Once I had that child, the first child, life was never the same, right? And then the second child, life was never the same. The third child, life was never the same. Fourth child, I wanted to put her back. I wanted to put him back a little bit, but, but I'm just kidding. But life was never the same, right? It was totally, completely trajectory altering. But you know why it didn't crush me? You know why we were able to leverage that and succeed in that? Because we were ready. My wife and I said, we, we knew that we wanted a big family. We knew that we wanted to have kids. And so when those moments came, we were able to jump on it and... I shouldn't use that terminology in this context. You know what I'm saying. We were ready, okay? We were ready to move forward. Uh, when I decided to go into vocational ministry, when I decided to be a pastor, when I decided, you guys are like, from that last statement, it must have been real recent you made that decision. <laughs> but uh, you know, when I decided to pursue vocational ministry, this was life-changing. This was trajectory-altering, right? It completely, everything has been different since that decision, but I was ready. The reason I was ready is because I was already serving. I was already leading. I was already in way over my head in ministry where I was having to depend on God because I couldn't do what I had, you know, my mouth wrote some checks that my butt couldn't cash. So I was depending on God already, right? And so I was already there positioned for God to show up. And here's the deal. Here's kind of the crux of the discussion this morning. When we make ourselves available to God, he'll use us. When you make yourself available to God, he will use you, but that requires change, and that's a really dangerous prayer. That's really scary for us to pray because it requires us to change. A lot of things sometimes, maybe it's some minor things, maybe it's some huge things, but if we make ourselves available to God, he will use us, and so let's pray together, and then I kind of want to unpack this concept a little bit, so let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have, the freedom that we have to come together and to worship you as a faith community. I thank you for all the unique individuals in this room on their own journey, on their own you know, path uh, following you. And God, I pray that you would just meet us where we are today. You know, if we've just started this journey, if we've been on this journey for 20, 30 years, or if we're even thinking about getting on the, on the road, God, I pray you'd meet us exactly where we are and that your word would speak truth to us and that we could experience life change this morning. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So here's the deal. If you make yourself available, God will use you. And so I feel like there are kind of three responses to God's call outlined in scripture. Obviously, there's a lot more responses, but I wanna look at three of them this morning. Three kind of ideas of when God calls you to do something, when God gives you an unction, when God says, hey, Sam, I want you to do this with your life, or hey, you know, uh, Paul, I want you to do this, or hey, Jason, I want you to do this, Kayla, I want you to do this, I feel like we kind of have three responses outlined in scripture that kind of give us an idea of, of many of us how we can tend to respond. The first one is Jonah. It's the Jonah response, right? Jonah's response is this, here I am, but I'm not going, right? He says, here I am 
but I'm not going. In Jonah chapter one, verses two and three, it says this, God's talking to Jonah. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because it, its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to, for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, which I'm pretty sure that's in the Star Wars realm, um, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says, I want you to go here. And Jonah says, I'm here, but I ain't going. I'm not doing it. And many times I feel like that's sort of our response to when God calls us to do something. That's a common response that I think we experience when you feel a prompting and then you don't do it. You know, I, I know I share a lot about my, uh, I might have to write a book one day about the Chronicles of Sam at the grocery store, right? Because I feel like I encounter God at the grocery store almost every time I go, right? Different opportunities, different ways. God's like, pay for this person, help that person, whatever. And, but there's times, honestly, these are not the ones I share about on Sunday morning, but when God gives me an unction to do something, or I feel like I should help someone, and then I don't do it. I'm just like, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. You know, whether it be, man, I'm in a hurry. I'm not going to help that old lady, uh, uh, load her groceries in the car, I'm, I'm too much in a hurry. Or, yeah, I'm not going to ask that person if they need help because I might feel kind of awkward and weird. And if they say no, then it'll be like super awkward. And I'll be like, okay, I don't know. what do you say? Oh, see you around. That's, that's strange, right? And so I talk myself out of it a lot of times. I say, God, here I am, but I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. I feel like many of us have that response a lot of times when God comes to us and says, hey, I want you to do this. Hey, I want you to do that. Hey, I want to use you in this way. And we say, here I am, but I'm not going. I think a second common response is the Moses response when God calls us to do something. Moses says, here I am, but send somebody else, right? Here I am, but somebody else has that. Somebody else is more equipped. Somebody else can handle this a little better. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, um, God tells Moses, he's like, you need to go to Pharaoh because, you know, the Israelites were in captivity to the Egyptians. And God's like, Moses, you're going to go. You're going to talk to Pharaoh. You're going to set my people free. I mean, many of you guys have seen the movie, Charlton Heston. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and so God comes to Moses and says, hey, you need to do this. But then Moses spends the next, like the rest of the chapter and that whole section giving God reasons why Moses is not the guy. He's like, yeah, but no, like, you know, I serve you. It's cool and all, but you should really use someone else. Right? You should use my brother, my brother Aaron. You should, you know, I stutter. I'm not eloquent of speech. Like, th this is just not, it's, I'm not the guy for this. And I feel like we do that a lot, right? When you see a need and you think, you know what? Yeah, I see that need, but somebody else will do it. Somebody else will get that. Somebody who has more money than I do can help that financial situation. Or someone who has more time than I do can handle that situation. Or someone who's better equipped than I am can handle that situation. And so when God calls us, we say, here I am, but somebody else can do it. Or we say, here I am, but I'm not going. And then the third response, I think, that we need to strive for more, that I think all of us are capable of, is the Isaiah response. He says, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I'm down. Let's do this, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Then I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He didn't say, God, I'll think about it and pray about it. What's the salary? What's the benefit packages? How many weeks of vacation do I get? Then we'll discuss it right? He doesn't say, give me all the details. Tell me how this is all going to play out. Where's my life going to be in 15 years if I make this decision right here to follow you and do what you've called me to do? Give me all the, put all the cards on the table, then I'll think about it, and then I'll let you know. I'll have my assistant send you an email. He says, here I am, send me. So what is it that we need to fully surrender to God? 
What is it that we need to not give the Jonah response, to not give the Moses response, but more often than not, give the Isaiah response? Do we say, God, here I am. I want you to use me. I want to surrender to you. I want you to do awesome and amazing things in my life, through my life, around my life. But what does it take from us to get to that position, to have an Isaiah perspective rather than a Jonah or Moses response to the prompting of God? And so I kind of have three thoughts, three ideas that I want to share with you that we kind of need to encounter, need to experience in order to be fully surrendered to God and for God to be able to use us in a mighty way. Because like I said, if you make yourself available to God, he'll use you. But what do we need to make ourselves available that we can respond like Isaiah? And so I have three quick ideas that I want to share with you over the next like five or six minutes. And I feel like these things can radically impact and change our life. And the first one is this, and it's all outlined here in Isaiah chapter six. I think that the first thing that we need to make our lives fully surrendered to God is a genuine experience or encounter with God. I think we need to have a genuine experience or encounter with God. We need to encounter God in a real, practical, tangible way. In uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Seraphs are like angels, if you will. Each with six wings. This is a vision that Isaiah had. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah had an encounter with God. He saw God seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. These angels are flying around, and they're singing praise and worship and adoration to God. And all this stuff is going on, and Isaiah sees it, and he's like, whoa. He has an encounter with God. This is the foundation. This is the launching pad for him to even be used by God. He understands and sees and says, man, this is mighty. Man, this is powerful. Man, this is huge. This is something I can get into, right? This is something I can get behind. This is something that I can give my life to. He has this encounter and this experience with God. He experiences the presence of God. For us to be used by God, guys, we have to be able to have a genuine experience of his love and his grace and his acceptance, and his forgiveness. Because when we experience these things, it's like we never experienced them before. When we experience the love of God, it's like experiencing love for the first time. It's just like whenever you have a kid, and you, you know, for those of you who are parents, when you have that baby, you know, marriage is great, I love my wife, but when I had my first kid, I didn't know that I could have those feelings. Am I right? I didn't know that that, that much love could be for another human and then I could share that and be like, whoa. And then when the first time that kid says, I love you back, oh, I'm a puddle, right? I'm just like, oh my, oh, oh, they, they, they like me as much as I like them. This is amazing, right? For those of your parents, you know what I'm talking about. You didn't know that that kind of love, could exist. that's how it is when you encounter the love of God. You're like, I thought I knew what love was, but whoa, when we experience his grace, When we experience and accept his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, when we experience these things, it's like nothing we've ever experienced before. It's a game changer. And sometimes we experience this in music. 
Sometimes we experience it here at church on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we experience it in the car by ourselves. For me, sometimes you experience it at the grocery store, right? Sometimes you experience it in nature. There's nothing special and magical about this room, right? This is just a place that we come together to chase God together. But God can reveal himself to you at any point, at any place, at any time, as long as we're open and receptive to that. And when we encounter him, it's one of those moments that changes the trajectory. It changes everything. And so for us to be used by God, I feel like that we need a genuine encounter. We need a genuine experience with God that we see God and we say, whoa, whoa. The second thing I think we need is a genuine awareness, and I think this comes out of our experience with God, a genuine awareness of our sin and our shortcomings and our junk. We realize who we are in light of who he is. When we see this mighty, amazing, holy God, and then we look back at ourselves, we're like, dang, what are those? Right? We're like, we're broken, man, in comparison to what? Man, there's a giant disconnect here in Isaiah chapter 6, Verse five, it says, woe to me. This is Isaiah's response, right? He, he sees God seated on the throne, all this stuff going on. And then Isaiah's response, he says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah goes, man, God is, whoa. And then I am, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? And so he has this kind of realization. It's realizing that who we are in light of who God is, that God is holy, that God is perfect, that he is pure light with no darkness. And then it's understanding our brokenness, understanding our need for redemption and reconciliation. The reality is you are not perfect, and God knows that. Which brings us to our third idea that I think we need to be used by God. We need to have a genuine encounter and experience with God. We need to understand who we are in light of that, that we're all broken and fractured and, and messed up in one way or another. And then the third idea is I think we need a genuine understanding of God's grace. I think we need a genuine understanding of God's grace. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. When, he, when it had touched my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Guys, God knows that we're fractured. He knows that we're broken. He knows that we're messed up and he loves us anyway. He cares for us anyway. He forgives us. He accepts us. Even though we are broken, God is a God of redemption and reconciliation and grace. And God loves us and he wants to use us even in spite of ourselves. Oftentimes we try to disqualify ourselves because we think we're not good enough. We try to disqualify ourselves because of our past. We try to disqualify ourselves because of poor decisions that we made or poor life choices that we made or where we veered off or where we've done some bad things. And we think, oh man, I'm too crappy of a person for God to use somebody like me. But listen, that's not the case. We need an encounter and an experience with God. We need to be real about ourselves and say, yeah, we screw up. It happens. But what's awesome is that God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace supersedes that. His love for us goes so much far beyond any sort of junk we can get ourselves into. And all throughout scripture, God's in the business of using really messed up people to do really awesome things, right? We cited Jonah earlier who like 
took off. It was like, I'm not doing it. Goes off on this boat and like shipwrecks and all this crazy stuff happens. A bunch of people end up getting hurt as collateral damage. And God says, I still want to use you. And Jonah ends up going to Nineveh at the end of the story, right? And then you got Moses, who like Moses is like, nah, man, I'm not doing it. He kills an Egyptian soldier, buries him in the sand, and dips out. He's like, deuces, right? Breaks the law, goes off into hiding on the backside of a mountain for years. And God says, you know what? You messed up. You screwed up. I get it. You're not eloquent in speech. You're not the best leader. You're not, on paper, the guy for the job, and you're the guy I want to use. This guy, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, Right? Paul was like the perfect Jew, but he got super religious and lost sight of who God was and what God's plans were. And so he goes around and starts persecuting Christians. This dude's straight up killing people for believing in Jesus. And God goes, I want to use you. So you think you've screwed up and done some bad things? Doesn't even compare. David, he's, he's known as a man after God's own heart. God uses him, King David, David and Goliath, all these stories, you know, this great thing for the people of Israel. But David was a screwed up dude. I mean, he saw this chick that he was into, went and had her husband killed, and then went and, like, took her to his bed, had a kid with her, and then, like, it was just this crazy, crazy thing. Not like, you know, the stereotypical hero of the day. And God says, you know what? In spite of your brokenness, in spite of you being a jerk, in spite of all these things, I want to use you. I want to use you. We need an adequate, real understanding of who God is, who we are, and that God wants to use us anyway. God uses broken people all the time to do awesome and amazing things. He uses broken people all the time to do awesome and amazing things. So we need a genuine experience and encounter with God. We need a genuine awareness of our sins and shortcomings. And we need a genuine understanding of God's grace. But here's the deal. I think for a long time in the church, it was set up like this was a one-time decision. Oh, well, you placed your faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. Now you're going to heaven. Amen. Go do ministry. But guys, it's not a one-time decision. It's not a, oh, I had an encounter with God back in 1978. It was great. I've been going to church ever since. Guys, that's a problem. This is not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time decision of saying, yeah, I get it. I'm screwed up. Okay, cool. Go on with life, right? It's not a one-time decision saying, okay, cool. God loves me. It's grace. Got, got it. Cool. Check. I'll be at church for the next 32 Sundays in a row. It's not a one-time decision, guys. This is a daily decision. It's a daily decision to have an encounter and experience with God. It's a daily decision to recognize that we are broken. It is a daily decision to realize that his grace supersedes our brokenness. Every single day, we have to make these decisions. We have to make these conscious efforts and choices to position ourselves to be in a place where God can use us in a mighty and powerful way. But it's something that we have to deal with and cognitively think about and work towards every single day. That guy, Paul, who was like persecuting Christians, wrote most of the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 2, he talks about how he was crucified with Christ. That he dies to himself every day so that he can follow Christ and serve Christ. It's a daily decision. We must decide daily to have a genuine encounter and experience with God. Living your relationship with Jesus on an experience you had at some revival 30 years ago, that's not a relationship with God. That's not what Jesus had in mind. That's not what scriptures tell us to do, right? Understanding and repenting of our sins and placing our trust in Jesus 30 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago and not thinking about it since is not God's best. That's not God's design for relationship 
with him. Understanding his grace at that moment of salvation, maybe an altar call, maybe you're at a conference, maybe you're at a concert, whatever the case may be, these big hyper-emotional experiences. And we say, oh, I understand God's grace. It's so wonderful. And then not thinking about it again, saying, oh, I'm just a Christian. Now I'll live however I want. That's not God's design. God's design for us is to deal with this stuff every single day. To have an encounter and experience with him every single day. That's why I said it can happen at church, it can happen in your car, it can happen at your house, it can happen at the grocery store, it can happen wherever. God's going to meet you where you are. I say this all the time. Scriptures say, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He's standing there with arms wide open saying, come on, let's do this. It just requires us saying, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Every single day. And so do you see why this is a dangerous prayer? Because this can change a lot of stuff. If we start having an encounter and experience with God every single day, if we start recognizing our brokenness and downfalls every single day, but then we accept God's grace and forgiveness on top of that every single day, it's going to change everything about the way we do everything. It's going to completely radically and change who we are from the inside out. And so some of you in here this morning, you know, this prayer, here I am, send me. For some of you, that means some major changes. For some of you, man, this is like earth shattering and you're like, Whoa, my world is going to explode. For some of you, this means something huge. For some of you, this might mean a changing career path. That's a big deal. For some of you, this might mean, you know, you have to relocate. This might mean you have to pivot and change your entire journey. This could be a, 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 an anchoring moment where you're like, whoa, yeah, I, whoa, uh-huh, yeah. For some of you, that might be the case. But more likely for most of you, it's not going to be some grandiose, life-changing, life-altering thing that where you, you know, pick up your family and move across the country because whatever, right? A lot of people think, oh, well, if I surrender myself to God, he's going to call me to live in Africa and never use a toilet again, right? And we just have this sort of, for some people, yes, that's the case. But for some people, no, that, that, that's, that's not the case. For some of us, for many of us, this might mean some major changes like a perspective shift, this might mean some major changes, like every day when we wake up, we see the world differently. We approach the world differently. For many of us, this might mean a shift in our priorities. The things that we used to set as super important, they don't need to be at the top of the list. We need to reorganize and reprioritize our life. For many of us, this might just be a willingness issue of saying, yeah, I'm the here I am, send someone else, or here I am, I'm not going. For some of us, this, the, the major change that's going to absolutely rock your world and change your life is just being willing to be used. Saying, here I am, send me, I'm down. Let's make this thing happen. For some of us, it's availability and saying, God, I'm making myself available to you. I want to be used by you, but I got to put myself out. I got to position myself to succeed in these moments that you're calling me to. I have to prepare myself to be used by you. For some of you, it's both. It's a perspective shift that's going to lead you down a path that you're like, man, this is a trajectory shift. This is a whole cluster shift. Some of you guys thought I was going to say something else. This is a whole shift, right? For some of us, it's a major, major thing. But when we make ourselves available to God, he will use us. So he may prompt you to give more. He may prompt you to save more. He may prompt you to do more. He may prompt you to love more. He may prompt you to serve more. He may prompt you to care more. He may prompt you to do a lot of things. But it's up to us to say, here I am, send me. Not here I am, let someone else care. Or here I am, I'm not caring about that, I'm too busy. 
It's up to us to say, here I am, send me. So I heard this story this week, uh, a pastor told, I thought it was interesting, so I'd share it with you guys. Um, he said that there was this guy who came to the church and he was a visitor and it was back in the days where, um, I don't know if any of you guys uh, have been to like small country churches or old school churches or whatever, but it used to be, so the pastor would get up and preach and then they would stand at the back door and shake everybody's hand on the way out. If any of you guys been to a situation like that and so they would stand at the, at the door on the way out and everybody like good sermon brother and he'd be like oh thanks man I don't know if it was like an ego boost or what it was but the pastor would stand at the back door and shake everybody's hand and so he said this visitor came through you know the the, the line and shook his hand and um he said to him he said the answer is yes so what's the question the guy's like huh he's like the answer is yes what's the question he's like oh, okay brother yeah all right gotta get through this line right, yeah okay cool see and so the guy leaves and so he comes back the next week and he comes to the line, and he's like, hey, the answer's yes, what's the question? The pastor's like, listen, man, I don't have time to deal with your kind of crazy right now. Look, I, he probably didn't say that, but he's like, can we talk about this later? Like, can we, can we get, uh, like, coffee or something so I can understand what in the world you're talking about? The guy's like, yeah, let's do it. So they get together for coffee, and they sit down, and the guy's like, hey, the answer's yes, what's the question? The pastor's like, dude, okay, I get it. What are you trying to say here? And he says, I'm in. The answer's yes to whatever the question is that you're going to ask me to do. Whatever it is you have for me, however, whatever way you want me to serve, whatever way that you want me to benefit and edify the body of Christ, I'm in. The answer is yes. So what's the question that you have? What do you need done? I think that's a beautiful story because I think that's how we should position ourselves with God. We should say, God, the answer is yes. What's the question? That's us saying, here I am. Send me. I'm here. What do you got for me? It's not saying lay out the business plan and the logistics and then I'll think about saying, it's saying, God, I'm here, I'm surrendered. I'm in a posture of dependency on you. Here I am, the answer is yes. What's the question? And so the goal this morning is to position ourselves in a place where we can say that to God. We can say an Isaiah response of here I am, send me. The answer is yes. What's the question? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for your word for Isaiah and allowing it to speak to us. God, this morning, I feel like there are people in this room who need a fresh encounter and experience with you. That they need to know your love and your grace and your acceptance and your forgiveness like it's the first time. God, some of us in the room need it for the first time. I pray that those of us who need an encounter with you, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. God, there's some of us in here this morning that need to recognize that we are broken and that we are fractured and that we've made mistakes and we have shortcomings. But these pale in comparison to the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that you have for us and the love that you have for us. God, I pray that every person in this room would make the daily decision to posture themselves in a way, to make themselves available to you so that you can use us in a major and mighty way. God, allow us, enable us to get to a place where we say the answer is yes, what's the question? Here I am, send me. God, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and